This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. I'm excited to have Mr. Josh Gurley with us today. Kyle and I are going to be having a conversation with him for the next little bit. Josh got my attention inside of the Insurance Agency Owners Alliance on a thread probably after my bedtime one night where we were going back and forth, and I realized this dude knows what he's talking about. He seems to think very similarly to what Kyle and I do, and I decided I'd reach out to him and we talked back and forth and he told me a little bit about his story and decided, you know what, let's have him on the podcast, see what happens. He, uh, he had just flown cross country, I think from closing a big deal, right, right around the same time we met. So Josh, it's good to have you on, man. Good to be here, David. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So tell everybody where you came from and and how you got to where you're at. I know that that you've got a unique story. So give them the elevator elevator pitch first and we'll dive in as we go. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a really small town, uh, maybe 20,000 people in the whole County, uh, Lake community. Uh, A lot of people would, would go there, have, have lake houses and vacation, that type of thing. Uh, just had a great time there. Played a lot of team sports growing up. Is that at Hartwell? Were you on Lake Hartwell? I thought I saw that on on Facebook or something. Yeah. Yeah. So grew up on Lake Hartwell. Uh, you know, when I say it was small, David, I mean, it was really small. The the road that I lived on was called Lou Gurley road. Okay. (laughs) And and it was named after my aunt or my great aunt. And so if you, if you rode down, if you went down the road, you would see our house on the left. And then about a hundred yards down was my, was my grandmother's house and grandfather's house. And then, and then if you went about another mile, you would see literally my great grandparents' house all on the, on the same street. And so uh, there was a lot of people that had interesting names in my family. I I had a, I had one that was named uh, Parson Pontius and I had one that was named uh, Lula May and all, all different kind of names. So we, we were the typical, uh, Southern family that just never left this, this one street. Uh, you know, that's a beautiful up. area though, man. I remember when my parents lived up in the Carolinas, I lived in Birmingham and we would cut across 20 and then go North to visit them. My dad was in the furniture industry at the time. So they were in that high point, uh, Winston Salem mm-hmm. area. And you drive right past Lake Hartwell going up the interstate to get there. When I was a kid, 
we would go to Lake Kiwi up in South Carolina, and that's where we would do all our water skiing. Um, like literally every summer that I was a kid growing up, we would we would go water skiing. I'm sure, you were um, an awesome water skier. Much better than that I am now, I can assure <laughs> you. Although I bet you the weight, I bet you that the freaking wall of water I could throw up on a single slalom. You're definitely more buoyant these days. Yeah, probably so. But yeah, that's a cool. Pl- that's 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 a beautiful area. I mean, it's probably yeah. a cool place to grow up. Oh yeah, it was definitely a cool place to grow up. We we had probably somewhere between fifty and a hundred acres of land, and so we were always in the woods riding riding four wheelers, uh, doing doing the stuff that that country boys do. And so yeah, it was really good. I like I said, I played a lot of team sports. Played played football uh, growing up. Uh, played high school. We were we were a pretty good football team. Actually made it to the state championship and got our heart broken. Back in uh, 2000 or 1999, uh, some point, L- long time ago, 20 years ago now, uh, but really enjoyed that. Uh, went to college, uh, went to the University of Georgia, and I graduated from there. Uh, was was kind of surprised. Everybody was kind of surprised by me because I was kind of an athlete, kind of class clown kind of guy. And then I ended up graduating third in my high school class out of out of maybe you know 200 people. So I know the look you had is the look I had. They, they announced well, it what, I was, what I was thinking about is <laughs> the fact that I was with you until you got to the third in class and then I'm out. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so somehow I managed to make some pretty good grades and I uh, got accepted to UGA uh, and went there. And then I got a degree in, in risk management and insurance. And I, I don't really know why I did that. My dad was a school superintendent. My mom was a kindergarten teacher. And my dad had just hired this person. And in fact, he was uh, in Athens, Clark County, which is where University of Georgia is. So a lot of people or business people around town knew who my dad was. And so uh, he had just hired somebody to be a risk manager at the school system. And it was a new, it was a new position for them back in like 2003. And he said, hey, why don't you, you ought to consider, consider doing this. And then my dad also was was involved with the the Georgia School Boards Association and who who has a workers comp fund uh, for all the different educators. So he was really involved in helping recruit people to kind of start that uh, other counties. And that was really my first introduction to uh, insurance and and to risk management was just through my dad saying, hey, this might be something that, that, that you could have an interest in. So. Uh, I picked the major and and ended up uh, graduating from University of Georgia. I think in around 2007 uh, with that degree. Cool deal. So, what did you do coming out of of Georgia? So, believe it or not, my hair used to be a lot longer than it is on this on this video here. And is that uh, is that the story? Are we getting to why you have a guitar hanging behind you now? Yeah, we're definitely getting there. Uh, so, so <laughs> I figured. <laughs> So I was interested in, in a lot of different things, uh, but playing music was the thing that I was the most interested in. And so I ended up uh, just through some acquaintances and, and through some some friends, uh, I, I met an artist or a couple artists and I started traveling around playing guitar uh, while I was in college. And so uh, pretty much every single weekend I was hitting the road and we were going to a different town uh, in, in Georgia or, you know, sometimes we would we would even get on airplanes. I mean, I, I think if you total it all up, we we played in probably 20 or so states, uh, ranging from you know South Florida all the way to Michigan, the East Coast. Uh, never made it farther west than about Oklahoma, 
but I was all over the place. I was burning up the road and I was a lot more interested in playing music than I was in, in getting a degree. Luckily I, I, I did get a degree and I, I did manage to graduate with honors. So if I have any clients or customers or, or people listening, I, I, I definitely did pretty good in school. I just, uh, I just like playing music more. And so I did, I hit the road. I hit the road for three years and I played guitar full time, uh, various places and, and for different people. And I had a blast. And, and I got to tell you, other than team sports, it was one of the biggest influences in my entire life because I was, I was pretty introverted at, at the time. And, and, and really I'm, I'm still an introvert for, for the most part. Uh, but it really helped me get out of my shell a lot because you would go and you, you would, you would play and people would want to talk to you. And you had, there were a lot of different things that you, that you had to do. So uh, it, it was a good thing for me, I think in, in the long run. Uh, but it definitely delayed the start of my career, which I had no problem with. And honestly, if I hadn't met my wife, Ashley, I probably would still be on the road somewhere playing guitar. But when I met her, I realized I had to do something that was going to make a few more bucks than, than playing my guitar. So you're being very nondescript about who you traveled with or played with. Who's the biggest name? Well, so all the, all the music that, that I played was really involved around church. And so we played a lot of different uh, conferences. I, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I guess Third Day was a pretty popular band that used to play play around a lot. They were probably the largest Third, Christian Third Day band. solid. They, they were at the time. And I think yeah. they probably got superseded when Mercy Me started to get a little bit more um, notoriety, but man, the, uh, Mac from third day had that rasp in yeah. his voice. They're solid, man. No, I, yeah, I know, and, I know contemporary Christian music very, very well. And so I know, I mean, I, I didn't play with, with those guys, but the band that I was in, uh, we, we did, uh, we did some shows where, you know, we kind of would, would be the sort of the opening group and then, and then they came on and, and we, we did a lot of stuff with a lot of different associations. I mean, kind, kind of an interesting story. Uh, James Lankford, he's a United States Senator from, from Oklahoma. And prior to being a, a Senator, he was actually the, the camp director at, at Falls Creek camp in Oklahoma, which Falls Creek camp is the largest Christian camp in, in America. They have, they run uh, 7,000 students a week through Falls, Falls Creek for, I, I want to say like, like 10 weeks during the summer. Uh, and so we did a lot of music there and it was just interesting that I, that I got to spend some time with, uh, Senator Lankford before he was actually, actually a Senator. But, but yeah, I mean, if, if you want me to give you the non humble answer, I, I think over that three years I played in front of about a million people and, uh, we were playing events that were two, three, four, five, you know, 10,000 people, uh, you know, wow. every single week. So pretty, pretty cool experience I had. That will definitely help you not be an introvert. <laughs> Yeah, I, di I didn't have much choice, and uh, I had to sit at the merch table. And if you ever, <laughs> and if you've ever, uh, you know, been involved in anything like that, you you understand that uh, that merch is is one of the biggest ways that you generate income in that in that business. So definitely had to do a lot of that. But yeah, so I met Ashley, and I, I kind of bummed around Athens when I was after I graduated because Athens is a really cool place to be. A lot, a lot of good people there. And so I ended up meeting my wife on a blind date. And I know this is all doesn't sound relevant to insurance, but I promise it is. It's all and relevant. So, 
so I met Ashley on a blind date. I didn't know what she looked like. I, I had no clue. Uh, and, and she was late to the first date. I was kind of frustrated by that. And so I was sitting there in the parking lot and I was thinking to myself, you know, come on girl. And then she came down the stairs and I said, come on girl. <laughs> she was beautiful. I mean, she was a knockout. And I decided at that moment, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to, how to convince this girl to marry me, which is still the greatest sales job I've ever done was, <laughs> was to, was to convince her to marry me. And in fact, it was kind of like one of those meetings. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting with a prospect where uh, you, you say, hey, I'm, I want to come meet with you for, for 30 minutes and, and have a conversation. And that 30 minutes uh, turns into three hours. And typically on those meetings where you go from 30 minutes to, to three hours, that typically works out pretty well for you, uh, especially I try to be really respectful of people's time. If I tell them I'm going to take 30 minutes of their time. When the 30 minutes is up, I'll say, hey, we, you know, the 30 minutes is up. Do you want to keep going? I'll, I'll be glad to take off and we can reschedule something uh, later on. And that's kind of how that date went, right? I, we got to the end of the, of the dinner and, and I said, hey, do you, you, you ready to go home? And, and she said, well, you know, maybe we could go figure something else out. So we went to a local Athens watering hole and spent some time there. And it was about 10 o'clock. And she said, I said, hey, you, you want to go home or you want to you keep hanging out? It, Things were starting to shut down uh, kind of downtown. And she said, hey, let's go to a movie. So we, we go to the movie theater and we, we get there. And the only thing that's playing is like Freddy versus Jason. So here I am with the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's 11 o'clock at night and we're watching Freddy versus Jason. And uh, the date went went great. Uh, ended up taking her home that night. And then we were pretty much inseparable uh, for, for the rest of the time. And so I got into... And then I started realizing, hey, the being on the road and traveling around all the time is, is not really something that uh, I should I should be doing anymore. And so I said, I guess it's time for me to get myself uh, a real job and a real career. So that's the Cliff Notes version of how of the moment I got into insurance. Yeah, but that didn't work out well for you the first time around, did it? Uh, no, it definitely did not work out very well for me the first time. So I mean, I think that's one of the that's one of the things that intrigued me about talking to you, man. You were pretty transparent about that to some random guy that was chatting you up on Messenger one night. <laughs> well, I, I think that that transparency is something that is missing a lot in in our world, and I think that it we live in this Instagram Insta famous world where everything has to be perfect and and everybody has to be perfect. And the reality is that none of us are perfect. And, and we all have, have made mistakes. And I just thought that telling a story of kind of what happened to me would, would be something that maybe could benefit somebody else that was out there. And if they were wondering how, how in the world could they do this? And, uh, and well, so, no, so, listen, man, it's no different than your testimony. If you get up and talk in front of people at church, somebody's going to benefit from it. Somebody's going through exactly what you went through and dealt with it the same way that yep. you would deal with it. And if you can make a difference in one person because of what you have to say, then it's worth you sharing that story. But I think that there's a lot of people out there, you know, that have dipped, dipped their toe in the water, right? They thought, oh, this is a great job for me. I think I can do it. I, you know, I let me try it. And then the next thing you know, maybe they put a year in, maybe, maybe not even a year. Maybe they put six months in and make up their mind. Oh, I'm done. I'm just... I'll just, I'll die on the vine until my year's up and I'll be over and done with it. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's not how it works in this industry <laughs> I mean, at all. Right. 
Yeah, and, and I think I had a, uh, you know, I, I believe that the only reason that people get out of the insurance business is because they don't sell enough insurance. And, and I know that sounds really harsh. It sounds like, God, Josh, you have no heart. But as a guy that didn't sell enough insurance, I, I can just tell you that that's the only reason that you, that you would get out of the business. And, and I want to draw kind of a, just a really stark contrast, okay, uh, to my life now, because I'm really not a total loser at this point, but uh, I, I want to draw a contrast because I, I just think this is important. Uh, you know, I renewed an account last week that is $43,000 in revenue. And the whole first year when I started insurance, uh, my, my total first year production was $18,000 in, in revenue. Uh, for, for one entire year. And so, you know, I look at the, uh, you know, look at the month of April and myself and my team, and, and we didn't talk about this before, but, but another producer in, in our office, one of my, I got two partners. So there's, there's three of us total um, owners in the agency. And one of my other partners and I, we started, a, I won't really say a program, but kind of a marketing uh, company uh, and we market to a specific group of, of, of manufacturers. And so uh, through, through that, we have written, um, you know, it, it really totals about 150,000 per year in revenue, uh, something, something to that effect, uh, you know, between all the, the customers, the new ones that we write, you know, the total premium on the book is somewhere between, uh, I would say four and a half and, you know, and, and $5 million now. And so, in the month of, of April alone, you know, a lot, we, we have quite a few renewals. And so we renewed over a hundred thousand dollars in that program alone in the month of April in revenue. So I sit here and I look at myself now and I say, we're renewing, you know, five times in, in one <laughs> month, what, <laughs> what I wrote uh, that first year. So you want me to just to kind of tell how that first year went? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Kyle, Kyle wants to hear it. He's, he's going on his third year. So, yeah. And so I'm in my, I'm in year number six now. Uh, but so, so this is back in 2011. All right. And 2011, I'm pretty gung ho. I get started. I have, I have a sales coach. Uh, and he was kind of a, a person that said, Hey, you need to build this book of personal lines. And it was really difficult for me because here I was in a, in a new town, my wife and I, we got, we got married. Uh, I started this job and somehow I bought a house. And I think the only way that I could afford to buy a house was I had a part-time job. So I was a insurance producer full-time. I was a part-time music director at a church here locally. And I was doing the best that I knew how, how to do to get by. And, and the other really unfortunate thing happened in that first year. And I, I don't think I told you this was, was my dad was diagnosed with cancer mm -hmm. and it was, uh, something that nobody that is in their mid twenties wants to hear about, right? Nobody wakes up one day and says, uh, the thing that I'm expecting today is my dad to, to have cancer. And so it really just, uh, I think threw me for a loop. Uh, I think it, it really prevented me from, you know, putting myself out there because I had a lot of worry. I had a lot of angst, a lot of concern about my dad's health. And, and it was such a surprise because, uh, he was very healthy. Uh, he was not a, you know, no, no alcohol, no tobacco, no, you know, exercise regularly and, and was diagnosed with, with lung cancer. And I mean, it just, it just knocked us all to the ground. 
And what turned out to be a, what started out being a simple biopsy that they thought was maybe some, some scar tissue in, in his lung from, from working, uh, you know, working on his family farm growing up that it, it ended up being cancer and they, and they removed uh, 20% of his, of his lung. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but, but I think you have five lobes in your lung. And, and so they were, they removed uh, one of the five lobes in, in his lung. And so that whole first year of being a, a producer was just filled with, you know, a lot of worry, a lot of angst, uh, just a lot of wondering if my if my dad was going to make it. And, and plus, I was getting married in about in about six months. And so I'll never forget this for the rest rest of my life. And uh, literally the day before I got married, my dad took a, a chemo treatment. So he takes a chemo treatment and he drives 150 miles, goes to the rehearsal dinner. And then, and then he's at the wedding all day the next day. And so if that just tells you how, how tough of a guy my, my dad was, um, they named a building after him in Athens, in fact. So uh, he was a really, really, really good guy. But yeah, I think my mind was just in a lot of different places. And, and you can't really uh, have your mind in different places to do this. And a lot of that was on, on my dad's help. A lot of it was just, you know, getting married and, and just my, my production it, it suffered uh, as a result. And, and so I just lost a lot of confidence, uh, regardless of the reasons. I mean, regardless of what was going, going on in my, my life. I mean, the bottom line was, is I didn't produce enough insurance. And uh, I think it's probably, you know, uh, understandable. Uh, but I was just in not, a, not a very good, good mental frame during that time. And so, you know, luckily, my dad, he ended up going into, in, into uh, a remission but that really didn't lift a lot of the burden that I had. I mean, I had a ton of this just burden of, of worried about my dad's health and worried about my mom and uh, different things like that. And so I just got to a point to where I sat down and I, and I said, okay, well, I have uh, a sick father. I have uh, no production <laughs> or very little production to speak of. I, I have a wife and, you know, and she was working and, and, you know, we were fine financially, but it was just, uh, it was just not going the way that I wanted it to go. And so I remember like it was yesterday, I just made the decision that with everything I had going on in my life and, and, and with my family, I, I said, I just can't do this. You know, I'm just not in the mental frame to do this. And, and then I decided I was going to go get a job elsewhere. And so I ended up applying for a job and got a job as an underwriter, a farm underwriter for Georgia Farm Bureau, which, uh, which didn't last very long. Uh, I went there for about, <clears throat> about three months and then the, st the story kind of, kind of heats up. So I guess before I go there, do you, do you have any questions about anything I said before? No, I mean, I think the one thing that I heard, you know, I'm looking at this from a parent's perspective, right? Because your perspective changes and yours is going to change as your kids get older too. I know you have kids now, right? Yep. But you know, I, my oldest son is 17 and you know, I, I can almost tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I was the dad that took a chemo treatment, drove 150 miles to be at the wedding the next day, there's not a snowball's chance I'd let you use my health as an excuse for your lack of production. You know what I mean? Sure. I think I think I think your dad would have would have not want you to think that way. And it's, it's interesting because I think sometimes when you look at things from a thousand, you know, 10,000 feet you know, away, it's easier to get perspective on things. But the other thing that I heard is there's not a snowball's chance you're ever going to fail at anything because you have that DNA. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, you know, 
my dad and I don't always do things the same way, but we're equally as bullheaded and equally as driven. And so that, um, that has made for some epic clashes over the years, but um, there's a lot of, lot of the, the fabric and who I am that, that came from him. So um, it's, it's just, it's interesting to hear you, hear you talk about your dad that way. It sounds like, you know, you had a really good relationship with him and he was pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, uh, that's definitely an understatement. Uh, he was, you know, even now I, I think back a lot in, in decisions that I make and I think about a lot of the things that he told me and, uh, and th those things definitely help me now. Uh, so, so here I was, uh, like I said, didn't sell enough insurance, and I was an underwriter, uh, underwriting agricultural equipment, and it was the most miserable uh, three or four months of my life. I was sitting in a tiny, tiny cube. I, I remember I almost had a panic attack the first day because I, because I had to punch a code on my phone to go to the bathroom, and I, and I thought there's no way I can ever live this way, and and so I ended up having a relationship with uh, somebody from my production. Uh, days and, and he was an RVP of an insurance company of, of Utica National and he posted a job uh, for a territory manager and I called him and pretty much begged for the job I said I, I met you when I was a when I was a producer uh, I'm miserable uh, can can you can you give me an opportunity and and he did and and he gave me an opportunity and, and I was a marketing rep for uh, for three years, and I was driving around uh, to insurance agencies all over Georgia, uh, and it really gave me an opportunity to see a lot of good producers at work. Uh, I think there are uh, a lot of, you know, really talented people in our state uh, that work. I think that um, there's a lot of worthy competition out there, and so it was a good opportunity to get to observe them. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, my, my dad uh, ended up, we had one good Christmas with him in 2012. Uh, the cancer came back in 2013, and then, and then he died early in, in 2014. And mm. so, you know, that was really, uh, really a hard thing to go, to, go through when you're, when you're 29 years old, and it's something that you're not really, not really expecting. But I have to tell you, when it, when it was over, I kind of breathed this big, sigh of relief and, and said and said well he's not suffering anymore uh you know I, I believe that he had he had peace and and we had peace as a family and as hard as it was was to let him go I, I I think it it just was something that I wasn't worried about anymore and you know what man I think that what you did what you said though points to something that is really important for People that you're you're younger than I am, but not that much younger than I am. Um, but all of us, Kyle's getting ready to have his his first child uh, in June. Uh, with all the other nonsense that's going on, you were 29 years old, man. You still needed your dad. Yeah, oh, you know, yeah. and I I think that that parents need to keep that into perspective. That it doesn't necessarily matter that you're 29 years old that's a relationship that you need in your life. And I, you know, it's one of the things that with me, I consciously invest. I mean, sadly, I hate to say this because it could get taken the wrong way, but 
I literally have to schedule individual time with each one of my four kids. Like I, I put it on a calendar to make sure that it happens. Um, And and it shouldn't be that way, but that's how busy my life is right now. And it's important enough to me to make sure that if I'm going to take my little girl to breakfast on a Saturday morning, which obviously I can't do right now, that goes on the calendar and I don't miss it. And I think that a lot of times, you know, people are so hell bent and, you know, even some of the younger my 17 year old, he's at that point right now. He's ready to get out of the house, man. He wants to go do his own thing and, you know, get, get out into the world. And he asked me what you think. And I told him, I said, I think you need to go out and fall on your face. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I think. You know, maybe that's not what you want to hear from me, but right now you don't really listen to much about what I've given you for advice and everything I've told you has pretty much happened. So maybe you just need to have life kick you, kick you in the nuts a little bit and, and <laughs> figure it out. Yeah. Well, it certainly is, uh, is, is one of the best ways that, that you can learn. And so, you know, here I am, uh, I'm working for Utica. Uh, I got a company car, cell phone, uh, pr- pretty good gig. I tell people, Hey, if you want a job in the insurance industry, uh, that, that's a good job. If you're, if you're a pretty outgoing person, uh, but you, maybe you don't want to be an insurance producer that the marketing rep job is a, is a great job to have. And um, I know a lot of people that do that job and, and, and they do it real well. And so it, again, it has it was, a fantastic expense account from what I understand and what I've witnessed yeah. firsthand. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this, man. When you were at Utica, did you know Matt Lapino or Matt Wisnett? Yes. Yeah, so, so Matt Lapino was, um, he was a RVP, but he was in a different uh, region than, than I was. I, I knew who he was. He, he's like the CEO of a, of a work comp company now, right? Is that right? Of, mm-hmm. of FHM. Yeah. He's a good yeah. friend of mine, him and him and Wisnet. We have a really good relationship with FHM. We yeah, do a he, lot of business with them, but I knew they were both Utica guys at the time. Yeah. He was a, he was a Utica lifer, I think prior to that. And, and I, and I still tell people today, my manager, Chris Eels, you know, if he's hearing this, he'll probably, he'll probably say it's not true, but he, he's one of the most influential people that I, I've ever had, had a part you know, anybody that's ever had a part of my career, uh, Chris was, was very influential and the company was great. I mean, I, you know, I, they, they were good to me and, uh, and still good to us today. I mean, we do business with them and, uh, write, write a pretty good amount of business with Yuka today. So it's, it's, it's been a good relationship, uh, and, and they've supported us. So, uh, all in all it was, it was a really good experience, uh, being with them, but there was just something in my heart that said, here I am. Uh, I'm, I want to try this again. And so I went back to uh, the agency that I was working at before and the, the agency was going to change hands. Uh, it had been in the same family for a long time, probably around 70 years. And so it was changing hands to, to a third party, uh, somebody that had come in. He was actually an alpha agent. He, I asked him before this if I could use his name. He said, only if you paint me in a glowing light. So I'm going to try to do that. But my other, one of my other partners, Waylon uh, Smith, he was an alpha agent for many years and ended up going uh, independent, uh, gosh, 10 or 11, 12 years ago now. And so he, he, he was set to buy the agency in January of, of 2015. And so we talked and we felt like it was a good time for me to, to come back and, and, and give it a go. And, and so uh, since that time, uh, from a, a production standpoint, uh, definitely been, been very successful, uh, ha- had a good year that first year, uh, have been, you know, over six figures in, in production, 
consistently uh, year in and year out. So, yeah, it's just been it's it's been great. I you know I love the insurance business. I think there's um, it, it's just a really great career. There's a lot of freedom. Uh, you, you know, I've created uh, you know I think f- financial freedom for my family and and then time freedom with my family. And and those are two things that are that are really important, especially the time. Uh, we, we my wife is at home with our kids, and uh, and she loves loves being a mom. She works really hard at it and and does a really good job. So um, it's just been a really good you know six years back in the do, business. Do you attribute the change in production um, to you know just the obviously the, the changes in, in the personal life or, or is, did you start attacking it differently? Like, you know, what, um, you know, what kind of change for you to, to turn things around aside well, from the obvious? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think not having, um, you know, not, not living in fear about my, my dad's health every day was something mm-hmm. that, that made a big, made a big difference. But yeah, I mean, I, I think being a producer is, you know, I think before I, before I really thought it was about a certain personality type or a certain, uh, you know, in, in individual characteristic. But but really, I think now that I've been doing this for six years, it's more about a, a set of behaviors. And I think that a lot of the good producers that I have seen, uh, they have a similar set of behaviors and they have a similar, you know, style of how, of how they approach business. And and so I just adopted some things that, that were different. I mean, you know, education is something that's important to me. I've never really had any issues being a, being a good insurance technician or anything like that. I mean, I, my degrees in risk management insurance, I've got a, I've got a CIC. I've, I've done the whole, uh, certified work comp advisor, uh, deal. So I know a lot about the experience mod, uh, you know, lead with work comp, really talk to people about how they can, how they can control their costs. Um, I know that's similar to how the same way that you folks work and just uh, finding problems with mods and, and, and getting them corrected. And I think that one of the, you know, one of the things that, that we have done is, is try to be really transparent and say, look, 80% of the people in our business are here to sell you as much insurance as you'll buy. And we think that only 20% of the people in our business are here to help you buy as little insurance as you need. So our goal is if, if your broker of who you're working with, if they're doing all the things right, if they're in the 20%, if they're talking about anything but insurance, right, then, then we think that we're going to stay away from those people. But the people that are out there that are peddling insurance policies, those are the ones we're going after. Uh, we're going after the 80% and, and we're just not really showing any mercy. Uh, we're, we're going out there and, and we're finding, we're finding issues. We're finding miscalculations on experience mods and, and we're exploiting those things and we're winning business. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what's low hanging fruit for you? I mean, I'll happily share what, what we're seeing too. I'm sure it's probably the same thing for all practical purposes, but what are you seeing for low hanging fruit when you're out there? What I see mostly is, is people that, that they don't have a very good uh, renewal process, right? Maybe they wrote the account on the front end, but I mean, you know, I re- I wrote an account last week. I, I think I told you about it. it was twenty, uh, like twenty six thousand in revenue, and it was some of the silliest things, right? I mean, it was just no drive other car coverage on the auto policy. It was just just small things, 
I mean, they had a hundred thousand dollar uncovered claim because somebody didn't update the equipment schedule. Uh, you know, there were some states missing out of box three A uh, on the work comp. I mean, just just some really small things that I think if people would better educate themselves, uh, you know, they wouldn't make those kind of mistakes. But hey, I'm thankful that they don't. I'm I'm thankful that I've read the basic manual and they haven't. Right. Listen, I'll tell you right now, man, you could stand on the mountaintops of Georgia and scream exactly what all of your competition should do. And they're not going to listen to you anyhow. That That's what I've learned about this industry. That's so crazy is the fact that the it, it's natural selection at its finest. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. You, I, mean, I, can, I, I can hand people a perfect strategy and they're not willing to do what it takes to execute it. You know, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, I think this business is not that is, is just like it, at the end of the day, it's just not that hard. I remember one of the first accounts I called on. Uh, it was a it was a bank publicly traded on the Nasdaq. And and I walked into the uh, account and, and, and wanted to talk to him and and ended up getting back there to, to the CFO. And, the, and then, you know, well, I didn't write it that year. I didn't write it the next year. But but hey, three years later ended up winning the account. And, and here I am, a guy from a town of 20,000 people went and wrote somebody that's publicly traded on the NASDAQ. So look, it's possible, right? It, and, it, and it's all about your behavior. I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite authors, speakers, communicators, um, you know, a- Andy Stanley, one of the things that he says, and Andy's a pastor, but he has a, he has a kind of a business type leadership podcast. But Andy says it's, it's your direction not your intention that determines your, your destination. And, and I think a plan is like an intention. It's like, Hey, here's our plan. This is what we think that we're going to do. But really at the end of the day, um, it's just a plan and it's the actual direction. It's the actual behaviors that you have that are going to determine where you, where you end up, uh, in, in this business. And, and so I just think that there's a, um, you know, a set of behaviors that people that are successful, successful have. And that's, and that's what I've, what I've tried to follow. I, uh, actually a friend of mine, he's a, he's a multi-million dollar revenue producer, uh, for was Jason McLeanier now, now Marsh. And, uh, and he showed me the ropes and, and showed me some, some strategies that, that he uses. And he says, just do it right. It's time to start doing what everybody else says they do. And, and that's really been the name of the game for the past six years. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. <laughs> you find people that are successful. You ask them what makes them successful. You listen, and then you replicate it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no real there's no real secret sauce. Well, I mean, I guess there is. Each one of us can have our own spin on it, right? Like for me, if I'm going to go in and I want to, if I want to find a hook early, number one, it starts with how you prospect. So I'm not even wasting my time looking at accounts that have 0.75 experience mods. It doesn't right. make any sense for me to spend my time on that. You know, yeah, maybe you could get it down to a 0.65, but that's going to be way too much effort on my side to make minimal impact. You know, you're already doing a lot of things right if that's the case. But if you're at a 1.3 all day, man, that's right in my wheelhouse. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to walk in and have you explain to me what your return to work program looks like. I need to understand what light duty and your operation looks like. And most of the time, and I'm sure you've experienced this, I'll walk into an account that's got a, a debit mod and I'll ask them about return to work. And they'll either say, we don't have a job count in paper clips, 
or yep. they'll or they'll say, oh yeah, we have that. And you know what? It goes in one ear and out the other because I know they don't have it. They can tell me they have it, but I'll I'll just keep I'll just keep going full blast. Oh, so let me make sure I understand. So you've actually gone and met with the clinic to make sure that you've introduced yourself and explained the culture of your company and they understand that you're a light duty employer and you want to do everything you can to get your injured workers back as quickly as possible. And then you actually have that letter that you send with the person to the doctor to remind them of who you are and all of that. And you have the offer letter and I start going through all of the steps. And by the time I get to about three steps in of what a formal light duty program looks like, they well, don't have a, yeah. Well, now that you mentioned, I mean, Kyle's seen it happen in action multiple oh, times. numerous times. Sure. But I mean, almost every time, really, whenever, whenever we talk about it, there's, I, I don't know that I have, uh, dealt with anyone who actually has a formal, return to work program in place when we go in there and are discussing it with them. They say they do, but like you said, it's, it's, it's never, it, it, you know, it's never fully complete. And I mean, if there's any young agents that are out there or older agents that want to learn a new trick, one of the things that I would tell them is if you want to figure out whether or not somebody has effective light duty and you want to do it on the fly, look at their loss runs when they're sitting across the table from you and see how many low dollar indemnity claims are on the loss runs. That's all you have to do. If you've got low dollar indemnity claims on the loss runs, you do not have return to work, period. It just doesn't happen. And so, you know, a lot of times what we'll do, you know, I don't know who, do you use Zywave or do you use another tool for mod audits? Zywave, yeah. Yeah, we use ModMaster and Broker Briefcase and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we go in and we we do that, a lot of the time I'll run two different ModMasters, right? So uh, if we have the loss runs ahead of time, we'll run it as it is to validate that the mod's right, break out the points that are going to the different, you know, injury types or by employee or however we're going to do it. Then in addition to that, I'll take the low dollar indemnity claims that would not have existed with return to work so that we get the 70% discount before the split point. I'll pull the indemnity out. I'll class them as medical only and I'll show them what the swing could have been on their mod had they had light duty in place. There's no arguing at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. I was I was in an account a couple months back where I th- this person was just not getting it. Like I walked in, I had everything the way that I would normally present. And part of it was because they didn't want to get it, right? They had a relationship with the incumbent. It was very obvious. The only reason that I continued the meeting is because I was referred in by a very good friend of mine who's also a client. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to bite the bullet. Normally, I cut this this person off at the knees and be out. But mm-hmm. it was a it was an account that was probably twenty. It was twenty five to thirty thousand in revenue all in, but it was skewed on the property side. So the comp itself was only about thirty thousand in manual premium. The mod was a one point four four, so it was closer to fifty. And when I went in, I, I looked. They had a. This is the worst one I've ever seen in my life. They had a, a claim that was north of seventy-five thousand dollars total incurred, and of that seventy-five thousand, five hundred was indemnity. Like, how does that even happen? Yeah. Right. And then they had another one where it was uh, sixty-eight hundred and one hundred and fifty dollars was in indemnity. And I was telling the person that was the decision maker how much of an impact that it had. And they just didn't want to listen. I said, why did you, why did you not pay this out of pocket? Why didn't you, why didn't you let the carrier pay the indemnity and then invoice you for that indemnity so that you could pay them back and keep it off of your mod because it would have saved you money? Well, I don't, I don't think that's how it works. And I said, well, you know, with all due respect, this isn't my opinion. It's mathematics. Like this is, this is how it works. And here's, here's why I say that. And I pulled out the second one 
it, it, just those two claims, if they would have had returned to work and not had the indemnity on the mod, it would have dropped the mod from a 144 to a 120. Well, basically, I ended up explaining to this person that instead of you paying $650 out of pocket now, you're basically paying $22,000 over the next three years. Mm-hmm. That didn't fly either. And I said, well, what you're saying is that it's okay for your business. You know, those are finance terms you're agree- agreeable to. So why don't you tell me how much money you need to borrow and I'll run to the bank quick and I'll get you as many $650 increments as I can pull out as long as you're going to pay me twenty two grand over three years for every single $650 that I loan to you. The, pay, the, the, the uh, payday loan places aren't getting that kind of return right. on their investment. And it's all because nobody had talked to them. It's crazy that people and it's interesting that tells you the strength of a relationship it's still to to some degree with some of these people that they're they're banking on relationship banking on relationship and i'm happy i'm happy to say i didn't bring this account in like i i ended the meeting by saying look you know i wanted to just let you know i i understood 15 minutes in you weren't going to be my client i stayed here out of respect to my friend that referred me in but at the end of the day you're not going to change until you're willing to and the reason i was brought in was because you've got a budget deficit of 150,000 bucks i just showed you a huge chunk of it and you didn't even want to listen to me so good luck <laughs> yeah i mean one of the ways that i i talk to people is you know we talk a lot about the the controllable mod and we, you know, that's a great tool within within ModMaster to, to be able to show them the money that, that, that they have control over. And one of the biggest, uh, you know, success stories in my career is working with somebody that had a mod that was a 189, you know, the, high, the highest one that, I, that I've seen. And this was stick, a, this around, was, stick around a while. They get worse. Yeah. So there was a company uh, that they, they should have been paying about about fifty thousand dollars a year. And they were actually paying 180, and it was just a it was a, a example of where they were having a lot of fraudulent claims, and they were kind of reluctant to put in a camera system. And I said, "Look, if you, you just need to go ahead and spend this ten thousand dollars on putting this camera system in, and and let's see, because they had people, they had witnesses that said, "Hey, I saw this guy literally put his hand in a press break and break his arm because he wanted work comp." He didn't want to work. I know, crazy. That's awesome. That and, guy knows how to party. Yeah. <laughs> so, so oh, we did. We, so, hold so they, my beer. They they installed cameras, and and then now you know you know five years later, right? But they they have a credit mod, and instead of paying uh, one hundred and eighty thousand, you know they're paying the fifty thousand that that they should be paying. And but that's something that we talked about that had nothing to do with insurance, that had nothing to do with quoting insurance. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that, that people make is they think that it's their job to quote people's insurance. And I just don't believe that that is my job to, to quote people's um, insurance. And, and so that's, that's the deal. We talk, try to use a lot of non-insurance words, talk about non-insurance things. And generally that leads to, leads to the, to the BOR. You know, that's, those are those things that lead to those, three hour meetings where you're just getting to know the person on a, on a business owner to business owner type level. And, and then you're giving them some ideas and, and they're saying, I've, I've never heard of that before. I've never thought of that before. I've never, nobody's ever actually done this before. And, and then, so you just show them what life could be like if they were working with you versus, versus what life is like. 
It's and, interesting, man, because I do everything I can to separate myself from insurance at the very onset of any meeting. I tell people my company is Florida Risk Partners. There's insurance is not in the name of my company intentionally. We're here to talk to you about total cost of risk. The difference between, I mean, I can run through all the different bullet points. The difference between dealing with me and dealing with an insurance person, insurance salesperson is they're here to sell you a product. I'm here to solve a problem and you have a problem and we're aware of that. And for 45 minutes, I've got it dialed in. I can go for 45 minutes and never use the word insurance at all mm-hmm. until the very end. And that's when we get into the hook, right? I'll say do you like everything that we've had to talk about so far? Is this something that we can agree on that would your, your company would benefit from? Absolutely. Well, I'm sure your next question is how much do I cost? How much, how much is it? Can you even afford to get this stuff? Because you know, you need it. Well, yeah, you know, we, we, well, let me tell you, here's how we feel about insurance. And I know that, you know, that I'm a licensed agency and, and, and a licensed agent and work for a independent agency. So you had to be wondering when it was going to come up, but, um, we view insurance is a commoditized shuffling of paperwork. It's a cost of doing business. It's a certificate to get on a job site. It does nothing for you unless you have a claim. Otherwise, you put money into this in every single year, and it just sits in a binder behind your desk, and that's it. So at the end of the day, what we view insurance, how we view insurance is the funding mechanism for you to buy our value proposition. If you want us to do all of the things that we talked about, if you need all of the components of that return to work program and the ability to administer that, if you need to have somebody come in and do manual material handling training and retrain your team and put that program in place or lockout, tagout, or whatever it is, that's what we really do. The way we get paid to do that is by placing your insurance. And because we're able to place your insurance, you use money that you're already spending to get what we offer for you. And that's that's it. I mean, that's the hook every single time. We will not go to market for somebody to quote. Just not going to happen. If you mm-hmm. ask me to come in and bid on your insurance, that's an automatic red flag. You won't even get an appointment with me. If you ask me, I'll let you quote the renewal if you want. That's okay. Apparently, I wasn't. I owe you an apology. I must not have been very good at explaining what it is that we do. You know, but we we will write on agent of record letter. Never compete on price. And we lay the value out. And if you can't, if you can't see that value, you're probably not going to be a good fit for our agency anyhow. Yeah, I mean, I think I think part of that first meeting is, is always saying, "Hey, you may not be a good fit, a good fit for me, right?" And and I think that it's important. I, I think insurance people have to have a little more respect, self-respect than what we have. And I know that's a lot easier for me to say established right then then it would be you know for for somebody else to say that just got in the business yesterday but if i would tell anybody in anything and is that you know you have you have to respect yourself you have to respect what you do you have to understand that what you do brings value to people's organizations and and people call you for a lot of things i have people that call me about all kind of things i mean especially you know having access to broker briefcase i mean people think you're like the encyclopedia of of business and and to a certain degree you know having broker briefcase is, is something that uh does help you be be kind of like an encyclopedia at times but and, and let me just say this about technology david because you know I, I believe in technology i mean we're using technology right now i think it's a really good tool we we've 
I have won some really large accounts uh, through just sending out straight content marketing, right? Nothing to do with sales, nothing to do with, hey, I want to give you a quote or I want to talk about it. We don't even use the word insurance. We just talk about, hey, here's what the Supreme Court did last week. And we send out information based on you know, various NAIC codes and, and different things that would would apply to these these type people, and 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 so that that's our plan for technology. We we use Zywave, we use Agency uh, Revolution to to send out some handwritten cards. We have we use Applied Epic. I know that's kind of a in, in the group that we met in. I don't I'm not sure that Applied Epic is really that all that popular. Uh, but you know, for for some an agency that is is growing and you know has has quite a few has employees. I mean, you really just have to, um, you know, in, in our opinion, we we got with the you know the big gorilla in the room, and that's it. I mean, that, that that's that's what we do. And then the way that we get prospects is um, I use this a lot. It's it's just a it's just a cell phone, and and we call people and we see if what we do could be a good fit for them. And then we call people that we think could refer us business, and and then we we build relationships with them. We try to be a go giver. Uh, I've got a, a local banker that we referred quite a few uh, quite a few deals back and forth, and it really starts with you. You know, people people they want to go to. I hear all these people talk about well, you got to build your referral network, your referral network, and 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 this that and the other. But it's like if you're the person that's always going, you know, you know, kind of kind of like this to people, gimme, 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 gimme. Uh, you, you're really not going to be the person that's going to get their best deals. And so when, when I try to identify someone that I could work with on, and I don't even use the word referral, I think that's a bad word, is introduction. I can work with somebody on an introductory basis to where I can introduce them to some of my clients. They can introduce me to some of their clients. And that's the word that we that we use. And that's the word that I use in my daily business and say, hey, I, David, could you give me an introduction to so-and-so I would like to meet this person. And, and so we try to be go-givers. Uh, we pick up the phone and we talk to a lot of people and then we provide helpful content to people that we think could benefit them in their business. And, and we never put anything out there that says, Hey, we want to sell you insurance. And, and I think that in, in a world of all this, all this technology, people talk about all these different things. You know, I think that's where the game is won and lost in middle market insurance. I think there's probably a place for, uh, you know, Google and, uh, you know, I mean, I don't even know what this stuff is. I mean, there's, there's a place for that kind of stuff in personal lines. There's a place for that kind of stuff in really small commercial. Uh, but I think that people that are, uh, that there are 25000 50000 $60,000 revenue deals, uh, they did not get to where they were uh, on, on the Internet, right? A lot of these people built their business pre-Internet days. And, and so we think that's how the, how the business is won and lost. We think it's, you know, won and lost in the numbers uh, from, from just understanding, you know, what, like you said, the total cost of risk, like what, what is your actual cost, right? Not, not only, um, you know, if, if, I mean, I, I've seen loss runs before with 100 claims in three years. And, and so you can talk about the soft costs a lot. Right. You, you can obviously talk about return to work, but you can talk about think about all the missed time. I mean, like, like let's add up all the indemnity. Right. And, and all of these claims. And and maybe you have missed may, maybe your company has missed three months of work. Right. Uh, out of all these people that have been hurt. So what are those soft costs 
that that we're not even talking about that happen in a workers' comp claim. Well, and what's funny is listening to people who argue with you about those numbers, right? Because the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that the soft costs associated with any workers' comp claim across all industries is between two and 20 times what direct costs are. So when I go in and use that illustration, which we do, I always use two because that's the easiest one for me to validate and say. So you have someone who has a half a million dollars, you know, half a million dollars in claims, and you tell them that they have a million dollars in soft costs, they want to argue with you every time. And they're going to say, there's no way we have it. And so I'll start pointing it out. But there's always a point of inflection in that conversation when I stop and I say, listen, I want you to understand this from my perspective. Let's look at this logically. You're telling me that you have a mod of 2.25, which is by all accounts an F. You know, you're you're failing miserably in your experience mod, but you're saying that you're beyond best in class at controlling the soft costs of claims because two is what the absolute best companies are getting. And wow. you you're, you're you're not even hitting that. I said, so you, your number's not a million, it's probably well over that. But you're right. I mean, people don't even businesses don't drill down. And, and you know what? Agents don't talk about that. They don't. I could I could get up right now in front of a room of 500 agents and I could give that conversation about what it's like to talk about soft costs. The next day, they're going to all go out to prospect and it's going to look like Tommy Boy talking about a T-bone. You know, it's just <laughs> they're not going to get it right. You know what I'm saying? It's it's going to be, oh, hey, I heard this guy talk and this is how he gets business. Let me go out and replicate that. No, it's not really that simple. It is, but it's not. You have to understand and be able to pivot and and back up what you're saying to people. So, but but you're you're 100% right. Agents agents are not we don't paint ourselves in a good light because it's I mean, there's so many things that you've said that 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 are so on point. It's not about giving, it's about getting. And, you know, it, I don't know. I could go on for days about all of this stuff. I'm just glad it is the way that it is because it makes it easier for transparent people that understand what they're doing and truly have their clients' best interests in mind and have a proven process that's been proven over years. We're, we're going to continue to, we're going to continue to dominate, you know, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant at all, but. I got into this industry because the guy who recruited me into the insurance industry told me it's full of average players. They're all C students. So if you think you're an A player, go in there and you're going to dominate against C C people. And I'll tell you right now, he was a hundred percent dead on the money, man. There is very few, there are very few people that go above and beyond to do anything outside of what it takes to get by. Part of the reason is you can make a hundred thousand dollars plus a year being average, Easily. you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that are okay with that. You know, they just, they, they play golf, they drink beer, they make friends, they do this, they do that. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're making six figures living off of a renewal book and they'll just ride off into the sunset one day and be perfectly fine with that. That's not how I'm wired. You know, if that's what's average, I want to be four times better than that. Give me four or $500,000 a year in earnings, you know, mm-hmm. to go out and absolutely crush it. And, and that's the cool part about our industry. It's 100% attainable if you're willing to put it forth the effort, not just in the marketing and the sales activities, but making yourself better. Get the CIC, get the CRM, you know, to a certain degree. Now, I've got friends that have so many, so many designations after their name that, you know, I have to thank them for taking time off of continuing ed to come have lunch with me because they've got yeah. 20, 27 letters behind their name, two sides of their business card. But 
you know, the other thing I see, and you're dead on the money with this one too, man. Agents are old school. They don't embrace technology. Every every one of these agencies that I see complaining about technology complain about one thing: cost. How much? What's the price of it? That's it. We use HubSpot in our agency. HubSpot is not cheap. HubSpot is actually relatively expensive, and it's more expensive to get it built out and run the right way. And I I make I make that investment. The reason why is because I understand that I replaced three bodies with the investment in HubSpot, and I did it for about half to a third of what it would have cost me to hire three people. Agencies that aren't going to adapt to technology and employ it are going to be consumed by those who are. They're either going to go out of business or they're going to be acquired. And eventually they're going to be forced to adapt anyhow. Especially given the current landscape. Yeah, I tell people all the time, if you're in personal lines or small commercial, you're not competing against other agencies. You're competing against Google and Amazon. You're competing against big data. They already have everything they need on you. All they're going to do is streamline it and put it to where you go to you go to order your subscribe and save on Amazon. There's a button that says while you were shopping, you know, we calculated a approximate homeowners quote for you. Click here to get more information. The law of numbers tells you they're going to write business doing that. They've already got the platform to put it up. Yeah, you definitely you definitely have to have to have to evolve. And, and, and I think that, you know, technology is a tool and, and we have to use it. We have to choose the right tools. And. I just think I see a lot of agents out there that, that they worry so much about, are they picking the right technology for them? Are they picking the, you know, are they, is it the best one? Is it the, you know, I mean, I look at it and I say, well, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if there's anything better out there than Zywave. I and mean, I don't personally think, think that there is, but I know this, I know that it is settled business, you know, for five years, we've gotten all of our content from Zywave. That's where we get it. We know how it works. We know how to use it and we use it. You know, uh, agency revolution. Look, is it the only one out there? I, I guess not. But but we use it. Uh, we did. We use it for, for what it's supposed to be used for. Um, you know, we do a good job with document management uh, w- within Epic, and and I think all those things all those things are important. But you, you know, I still believe that all the deals that these are just tools, right? And the deals are won and lost on me and you and and a prospect in a room or on a video conference. And, and look, I, I think I heard you say this the other day that you have to be a good combination to be successful of, of a technician and, and of a salesperson. Yeah. You gotta be a hybrid. I say and, that all the time. And, and I, and I think like, the, and, and I don't even, I don't even know how you, you, you do this. And this is why like I mentioned Andy Stanley earlier. I mean, you hear Andy Stanley talk for an hour and he's done, and you're and, and you're like that was an hour. Like I, I that should have been five. You know, it felt like five minutes, right? Um, but look, do I know? Look, I, I know a lot about agency bill. I know a lot about margin clauses. I know a lot about coinsurance. I know a lot about the experience mod. I know I know how to calculate the lowest possible mod, right? I mean, I, I you know I, I can do all these all these different things. Um, you know, I understand you know, all the different types of, of, of business income, right? I know how to write them all degrees in risk management, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I could go on and on about the education, but, but really it's just application of all that, right? It's being able to communicate all those things in a language that, that people can understand. Um, well, that's you know, what I was going to say. You, that's great that you know all that, but if you can't translate it, it's yeah. worthless. It's just, it just doesn't even, it just doesn't even matter. And, and the other thing that, that I believe is I think we spend 
so much time trying to get hired uh, that we don't spend enough time trying to get the other guy fired. And and to your point about about return to work, I think a lot of people are afraid to take that next step and, and they're afraid to say, hey, I think this is a fireball offense. And in order for me to get hired, then, and you call their name, if you know who the producer is, you call their name, right? You just say, hey, 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 David, for, for me to get hired for this job, then Kyle is going to have to get fired. And, and I just need to know if you can do that. And, and I try to be really upfront about it. And, you know, Scott Addis, I think, is a good insurance teacher. I've been to some of Scott's classes. And, and I use a lot of what, of, of what Scott says. And, you know, he, he just says he's got, hey, red light, green light. I want full access to information. I want full access to people that are going to make decisions. I want to know that I'm not competing against any other broker except your incumbent, and we're not competing on a quote, right? We're, we're just competing on, on advice and, and process. And then last but not least, I got to know that you're going to fire them, that you're willing to fire them. And, and if you don't get green lights, then, then you go find another prospect because that's really not a good prospect. And, and I can tell you that every time in my career that I've run straight through a red light, it has not ended well for me. And so that's the process that I go through to, to qualify people. And, and I, and I tell it right to the person's face. I, I just, I just cut all that out. And, you know, the, the book that I'm reading now is, is they ask you answer and it's Marcus Sheridan. I, I think it's a really good book. And he talks about uh, just being totally transparent with people. I mean, he's in the pool industry and, and he, he's totally transparent about a, a fiberglass pool. I mean, I feel like I know a lot about fiberglass pools after, after reading this guy's book. Uh, it's but, funny, man. I need, to, I need to call Marcus and talk to him about that sometime because I actually wrote a fiberglass pool manufacturer. So I know an incredible amount about fiberglass pools as well. And it's completely worthless at this point for me, unless I go after another fiberglass pool manufacturer. But, you know, even in Marcus's book, man, it's, it's common sense, dude. People are saying, oh, I can't come up with content. I don't know what to write about. I don't know what people are looking for. Take notes when you're in a meeting. You know, every single day you meet with somebody, they're telling you exactly what kind of content you should produce. Just make notes of it and then go do a video about it. Turn it into a blog post. Do both. Whatever. And the other thing is, you know, guys like Addis, I know Scott very, very well. Um, you know, there's something to be said for the bald guy in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And Scott, Scott's been around the block. He's had, to, you know, had his agency in two different iterations. And, um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Scott. I, I, I think that his process is airtight. I've put my own spins on it. I was actually worked at an agency where we were part of his beyond insurance group network. So I had, you know, full access to all of his stuff for a while there. Um, yeah. And then but, the, other, the only other person I'll mention is, is, uh, you know, is Preston diamond. I mean, Preston, uh, taught me a lot about, uh, about leading with work comp. And he taught me that we're in the people insurance business and, he said that everybody wants to talk about the auto and they want to talk about the GL and they want to talk about the property and, but nobody understands the comp, right? I mean, the policy is six pages long, uh, the actual, <laughs> the actual contract, right? I mean, but, but it's complicated, right? I mean, all, all the rules, all the mod, what, I mean, you know, what are all these numbers, what are all these boxes, you know, 
and, and, and so he, he just he taught me early on he said look you're don't don't let the tail wag the dog here and don't forget that you're in the people insurance business and between him and him and kevin ring um we have been very successful kind of taking a blend of all these people that that we've been listening to and 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 applying the information uh but but nothing more important than comp and and you have to get into larger comp before it even makes a difference. You can't do it on $5,000 premiums. You, you just can't. No, because you're dealing with somebody that wears 15 different hats. You're not dealing with somebody that's dedicated to it. And you're, you're not at the risk of sounding bad. You're not really dealing with somebody who understands the true value of an employee and all of the costs. It's just, it's a different mentality in a different level of sophistication of a buyer when you're in the middle market as opposed to dealing with a business owner who's also payroll, who's also human resources, who's all like, I would be a nightmare for a client, for anybody who came in to try and sell me something because I've got 15 different things that I'm doing all the time. Whereas when I go in and meet with a CFO or a controller or, you know, a, a CEO or whatever, that's the only thing that they do is I'm there and I have a hundred percent of their attention. And, you know, you make the value case much easier um, in that, in, in that arena. So I think that, you know, to, to, to sum up, you know, one of the, one of the best things you, you basically said without really coming out and saying it is sharpen the saw, man, you got to learn, you got to find from other people what's working for them. You need to incorporate that into your game and then you need to refine that into what works for you. Scott Addis is an awesome teacher, but I'm not going to do everything exactly the way that Scott does. That's just not my personality. Scott, Scott's personality and mine are completely different and his sales style when he's presenting is different than what mine is. You know, I don't know Preston Diamond. I know him by reputation and by all accounts, the guy has taught a lot of people in your part of the world, probably down here too. But I think in the Carolinas and in Georgia specifically, he's taught a lot of people workers comp, take what you can from that. Every single one of us should never stop doing that right? You know, we shouldn't stop reading books. We shouldn't stop going to continuing ed. And I'm not talking about pencil whipping it just to get your credit so you can keep your license active. Go do something that's actually going to make you better. And it'll make you, you'll, you'll be surprised at little tips and tricks that you pick up. So I'm going to wrap up. We've been going for a little over an hour. I mean, I could go for another two hours if I wanted to. Um, you know, we could talk all the time. What I will tell you is that, uh, I want to have you come back and we can dive deeper in some of this stuff down the road. Cause I think that, you know, you and I speak the same language, man. I knew that very, very early on. And it's funny because more and more people that I talk to say, Hey, I wanted to talk to you because you and I speak the same language about 95% of the time. They're right. You know, the, the, the people that are really doing well in producing in the middle market. No, you, you can tell by three sentences, whether or not that person's legit or not, you know, <laughs> yeah. It, for all practical purposes. So listen, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. Appreciate you sharing your story. You guys are doing good things. Tell people if they want to reach out to you, tell them how they can find you. Yeah. So if you want to reach out to me, uh, I will give you my, my email. Uh, my email is J Gurley, G U R L E Y. And that is at hunt hyphen miller.com. Do not put an underscore, make sure that you put a hyphen. Uh, you know, you can shoot me an email. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my office phone number. It's it's uh, 478-922-8500. Uh, 
three one. And so, yeah, feel free to reach out to me. And and hey, David, just just in closing, I, I want to say this because I, th- I I think it's important. I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about the insurance business. Uh, I think it's the best business uh, that that anyone could get themselves into. And so, I just want to say this. The insurance business has been so good to me in so many different ways. Uh, my wife and I have gotten to go on on trips all over the world. I've gotten to see some really really cool beaches and and uh, just some stuff like that through some incentive travel. Uh, I've gotten to meet a ton of smart people that do all different kinds of things, whether it's uh, retail insurance people or whether it's company people or various software vendors, different folks like that, and. And I just want to say that I'm trying to not just survive the insurance business. I'm trying to thrive in it. And if there's anybody out here that, that that's trying to thrive, uh, I would love to help you um, because we've been blessed with, again, a lot of technology, a lot of friends, um, a lot of different relationships. And so, uh, and, and most of all, we've been blessed with, with, with uh, time, uh, time with my family. I don't have any particular uh, clock in or, or clock out time. We just go until we get whatever we have to get done. And sometimes we get it done early. Sometimes, sometimes we get it done late. Uh, make sure you love yourself. If you're out there in insurance production, I think you have to have faith. I think you have to spend time with your family. And if you can find some time for some physical fitness, I think there's nothing better that you can do for yourself uh, than those three things. And if you ever need something, contact me, reach out. I'd love to help you uh, in commercial insurance. Sounds good, man. Thanks again, Josh. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.